Um, let's go back to um, Exodus 3 and uh, continue our study of the life of Moses. Um, I thought I would tell you just one quick story. It's uh, that, you know, I don't do the India report thing when, when I, think, uh, I think people got burned with slides and missionary presentations years ago, so I don't ever do that, but there is this thing that I, when, when, you're, when you're driving in, in uh, Delhi, of course, it's a city of 25 million people, and um, um, you share the road with just, I mean, you just can't imagine um, what all is on that road. Um, it, it, you know, there's a, there's a flock of sheep that, you know, is crossing the street, and everything comes, I mean, you know, you got billions of cars, and you know, a flock of sheep, and you know, everybody just uh, waits till the flock of sheep moves on, and the shepherd kind of gets his sheep across. Well, in addition, you've you got motorcycles, you've got carts, you've got uh, bicycles, you've got uh, cars, and it, just everything. But also, um, our, our cattle. Um, I mean, not one cow. I mean, 15 cows. And nobody is tending them. And, and they're just wandering around, and, you know, and, and so uh, on one occasion I, I said to Aaron, I said, um, Aaron, are, are cows still sacred here in India? And um, I, I thought maybe, you know, that had been changed. Um, he said in the last, I don't know what he said, six months, nine months, um, a man, um, uh, it was a car accident, and or the, the man, the car got out of control, whatever, and he hit a cow and uh, damaged the cow pretty seriously. And a mob gathered around that man and beat him to a pulp because he had harmed a cow that's on the street. <laughs> um, and you're trying to, anyway, that's, um, that's the nature of life in India, I guess. Okay, guys, um, last week, I hope you will recall, we spent our time looking at um, this little formula in verse 2, uh, the angel of the Lord. Um, that's all we looked at is trying to identify uh, who that, that is. Uh, who's ref- and the point that I was making last week had to do with uh, the Trinitarian nature of this passage that the that at least two members of the Trinity are found in this passage, and you see they're being used interchangeably. So that's what we did last week. We're going to move from there, start with verse 5, not verse 3, and we'll read through verse 6. So, <clears throat> and Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, uh, here I am. Then he said, uh, do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Now gang, um, most people would say to you, or would tell you, that what I've just read to you is an account of the conversion of Moses that Moses was brought into a believing posture in this place right here, not in the, uh, you know, earlier in chapter 2 when we saw him riding out to try to defend his people, uh, Israel, but that um, uh, he knew certain things about maybe plans that God had in mind for him. But this is the account 
um, most would suggest, and I agree, um, of Moses' conversion. And so there's certain things that you can learn about conversion um, right here. And folks, um, one of the problems that I think that the 21st century church has is her theology of conversion. Um, This notion that if I nod my head to Jesus and, and, and all is well, that I accepted Jesus when I was 10 and I've been living like a criminal ever since. Um, so much of that comes from a faulty view of conversion, methinks, or at least partially explained. So let's see what we can find out about this whole idea, this notion of conversion. Um, now, you know that this event that uh, is contained in this first paragraph of chapter 3 is an event that takes place 40 years after um, Moses fled from Egypt. 40 years have transpired, and Moses is on the backside of a mountain taking care of sheep, thinking that he is all washed up. Um, And then this thing happens, uh, this uh, fire in the midst of a bush, and um, and, uh, and you'll notice that his first... um, His first response in verse uh, 3, I will turn aside to see this great sight. There is something wholly inadequate about that response. Now, um, um, I would suggest to you that what you are seeing here is a man who is um, completely, at this point, indifferent, just having spent the last 40 years of his life estranged from any relationship with God, and it's just not in his, on his radar. And so when he responds with this note of curiosity, which is all that is, instead of some response of uh, submission to, um, to this voice that he just heard, or this bush that he just is seeing, um, what I would suggest to you is that that is a, um, a, a pretty clear proof that Moses at this point is in no way looking for God. He is not on the backside of a mountain trying to find God and establish a relationship with him. And I say that to say this. Moses is not looking for God. God was looking for Moses. The, the first thing, gang, that you can learn, methinks, about conversion is that God is the initiator of this thing. Moses is tending his sheep, and, and even with this very odd thing taking place, it doesn't seem to jump into his mind, Ah, oh, finally... Yahweh has, 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 has overtaken me. No. His response is one of <coughs> simple curiosity. Because God sought Moses, not Moses sought God. Gang, I, I've used this, this illustration uh, a couple of, or several times before. But in Genesis chapter 3, um, when Adam and Eve had just blown it, and they know it, and they realize that they're naked, you know what they do next. 
um, they do not start running around the garden saying, oh God, we have really blown it. Could you possibly restore us? No, they are in a, they are overtly hiding and trying to find some kind of remedy to their nakedness by stitching the fig leaves, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the, the point is, who seeks whom in Genesis 3? It's God seeking Adam and Eve, not Adam and Eve seeking God, just like you find here. It is not Moses seeking God, it's God seeking Moses. Because God is the initiator. Ladies and gentlemen, we seek God because, and only because, he first sought us. And has implanted an urge to pursue him. Gang, um, A.W. Tozer, a name that many of you um, know, he calls this prevenient, <clears throat> prevenient grace. Um, in essence, what prevenient means is that God is always previous. God is the beginner of this thing. He's the, he's the seeker. Now, with that said, um, just to make some brief piece of application. Gang, um, I, I, I guess this is still going on in the church uh, around the world, I guess. But do you remember, particularly back in the uh, late 80s and 90s, there was a wave of interest in what was called a seeker service. <clears throat> in fact, in church growth manuals, um, the seeker service became a, 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 a title of an approach to doing ministry, to doing church. It was a seeker-driven ministry, and they had a seeker service. Well, let me quote just one quick uh, passage of Scripture. I mean, it's very brief. It's in Romans 3, and it says this, There is none that seeketh after God. Now, um, who are you going to put your money on? Romans 3 or the seeker-driven service model? Gang, we went to extremes in the Christian church to try and develop a method by which we could be appealing to seekers. And guess what? There ain't no seekers. There is none that seeketh after God. Do you hear that? But in spite of that, a clear, simple, forthright statement, there is none that seeketh after God. We said, okay, well, we're going to develop a seeker service. We're going to have ourselves a seeker service, and we're going to do things in our seeker service that will appeal to the seekers. There ain't no seekers. You want to know who the seeker is? The one that sought Adam and Eve. The one that sought Moses. And ladies and gentlemen, if you'll go back and you'll give just a little bit of thought to that process by which you, brought, you came crashing into the kingdom, you'll begin to see things that God was doing to come get you to. I think I've, I've told you this, maybe I have, um, 
Susan and I were not married. Um, I, was, um, I was a senior at the University of Tennessee, and I was graduating. So I was interviewing with these, um, with these companies, you know, and they would fly me to this place and fly me to that place and interview here and there. <clears throat> and, um, but one of the places that I, I interviewed, I, I, I told you about this, is CNS Bank. And it was in Atlanta, and they had flown me from Knoxville to Atlanta to um, be interviewed. I interviewed all day, and I told you about the one story. But, but then, you know, they offered me a job about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. My plane didn't leave till about 9 o'clock that night. So it's 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm in downtown Atlanta on Peachtree Street or wherever. And um, I, don't, I don't have to get to the airport for another, <clears throat> you know, three hours. And I did something, ladies and gentlemen, that I had never done before. I, 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 and let me tell you, I've never been a big drinker. But I went into a bar, and I sat at a bar, and I began to drink. I had never done that in my life before. You know with those little fish cracker things on the, on the <laughs> bar there, you know? Here I am, you know, I, I should be, you know, twisting and shouting, and I'm sitting in a bar thinking, wait a minute, I'm about to be married. I got to take a job and I got to graduate and I got to, you know, I got to work at least 11 and a half months a year instead of only nine. My point is, folks, I think the hound of heaven has already begun, had already begun. His pursuit of me. Um, I knew that I had no real remedy and no real solutions for life. <clears throat> and that's when the hound of heaven began his pursuit. And so <clears throat> instead of some kind of <clears throat> idle curiosity, that changes now. Because the God who was always previous has come to initiate this thing with Moses. Now, that, that's the first thing in terms of our whole, our whole understanding of conversion. That grace is prevenient. God is always previous. We seek him because he first sought us. But By the way, just to go back to the Genesis 3. If God very clearly sought Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, tell me, when did that change? It didn't change. God is always the seeker. But the rest of us, apart from his seeking, his initial seeking, there are none who seeketh after God. No, not one. Now, that's the first thing. Now, here's the second thing that I would draw your attention to in terms of Moses' conversion. Um, folks, coming to, uh, becoming a Christian... Coming to Christ, being converted, however you'd like to say that, is essentially our meeting God. Not, not a bush, not a flame, but it's a, it's a personal confrontation with God. Folks, what you are witnessing in Exodus chapter 3 is what we would all agree is a miracle. What I'm suggesting to you is that every time someone is converted, it is a miracle. It is God showing up and us being brought 
into a personal confrontation with God. Um, I meet God. Uh, Folks, and as a result of that meeting, everything gets changed. Um, Once that meeting has taken place, I can never be the same. Never be the same. Because of this miracle that is enfolded in my, in my lap. I got confronted by God. Gang, I'm suggesting to you that what happened to Moses happened to you. There maybe wasn't some burning bush around. But in the midst of, I don't know, getting through junior high or high school or college or marriage or parenthood or something... God began to chase you down. Um, He tracked you down from the hound of heaven, tracked you down. And there was this meeting that took place between you and God, and you have never been the same since. Folks, if you are here tonight as a believer, you are supernatural. I didn't say you were extraordinary. I don't think any of us are extraordinary, but we're all supernatural because we had this meeting with God. And I would go further to say to you, the only thing that can explain who we are is that we had this meeting with God. Gang, do you realize that as Christians, we believe some real weird stuff? Very weird. This Savior of ours was born of a virgin? Oh, 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 come now. I mean, we know how people get born. But we believe that 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 conception occurred when this person of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit conceived in Mary. We believe that. We believe that a man was crucified, dead and buried, They put him in this cave, and three days later, he walked out of there. Physically, bodily. We believe that. How do you explain believing some of that weird stuff that we believe? I'll tell you how you explain it. You had a meeting. (laughs) You 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 got met at a meeting. Not at a meeting at church. I mean, it could have occurred there. But a meeting with God. This God that chased you down and performed this miracle in your life like he performed one in Moses' life. Folks, the gospel is essentially a description of a miracle. A miracle that has happened in us, folks. And, and the world can continue to scoff, but we still believe those things, and we hold them dear. I've got to move on. I, I, I did want to point this out real quickly. A burning bush that talks and is not consumed? <laughs> I just think that's interesting. But when Susan and I were in London, we were taken to the airport by this precious couple, and she's a Scot. And she pointed out, and I had to point out just because of my love for her, that the the logo of the Church of Scotland is a burning bush. 
a bush that burns but is not consumed. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good logo for a church. A bush that burns and talks but it's not consumed. I just thought that was interesting. Okay, <clears throat> back to conversion. Um, did you notice that in this miracle that unfolds, Moses is called by name? Did you notice that? Moses, Moses. By the way, and you know in the scriptures when things are repeated, that's for emphasis. They didn't use italics or exclamation points. The way they emphasize things is that they repeated them. This is not Moses, but Moses, Moses. He's called by name. Now, gang, I, I don't know that you can derive benefit from this. I hope you can, but if you flip over to Exodus 33, and we will get there in about six or eight years. <clears throat> but if you come over to Exodus 33, um, you get this statement. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring this people up, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name. Moses is in a situation where God says, take the people and get them up from with them and can move them on up there to the promised land. And he says, but I'm not going with you. Moses says, no, 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 you can't do that. And um, you told us to leave, <coughs> and I can't leave if you're not going with us. And by the way, do I need to remind you you know me by name. Then drop down to verse 17, and um, <coughs> God replies. And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Now, folks, what in the world is all of that? Is God saying, Oh, yeah, I remember you now. I had almost forgotten you. But no, I can't do that because, you know, I know you all by name. Is that what your, your, your Bibles are saying? Gang, um, keep your finger there and go back to uh, Exodus, actually, 2. Remember, I, I, I did a lot on this. Um, um, Exodus 2, verse 25. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. And I, and I spent some time on a Wednesday night talking about that word God knew. And then you, you says, and you see here, uh, Moses in Moses' conversion, his name is mentioned. And then Moses takes advantage of that 30 chapters later and said, listen here, God, don't send me out of here unless you go with me. Because you, you do remember, you know me by my, my name. And um, God says, okay. I'll go with you, because you're right. I know you by name. Is that just nonsensical gibberish? Folks, have you ever read John 10? Have you ever enjoyed John 10? You need to. It'll be in the great chapter series in another six years or so. Um, but in John 10, it says, Jesus says, I know my people. I know them. By name. I know my people by name. Ladies and gentlemen, do you understand that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he had your name on his lips? 
It was not some faceless mass of humanity. I know my people and I know them by name. I've entered into this everlasting relationship of intimacy. So much so, not only do I have the hairs on your head numbered, I know your name. And that whole idea for Moses is something that gives him courage to say, wait a minute, you can't do this. Because don't you remember? You and I are in a relationship of utter eternal intimacy. You know me. My name. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. I forgot, uh, says God. Yeah. yeah. I know you by name. Now, on the basis of that steadfast relationship, I will grant your request. Folks, um, right after you got out of that bar, and you stopped drinking and stopped eating those little fish crackers. The next step in the conversion is that God showed up personally, intimately, individually, and He performed this miracle and you met with Him. And it has changed you forevermore. Now, gang, um, I don't know if I've got time to say this, but if you change that definition of conversion, do you know what you end up with? A bunch of people who name the name of Jesus and live like the devil. They live like, what? You belong to the king of kings and you did that? Because conversion has been made into something so meager. Folks, I, 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 what I'm telling you here is here is an example, here is a, a, a scene where Moses got converted, and one of the, a couple of the earmarks of that is number one, God initiated it, and number two, it was a miracle by which they had a meeting together, and that meeting changed him forever. He could no longer think the same in the same categories. He could no longer do the same things. He could no longer have the same loves. He could no longer clutch to his breast that nasty, illicit sin. But if you change that whole notion of conversion then you sweep all these people in into the kingdom who don't know anything other than J-E-S-U-S. Hmm, okay, yeah, give me one of those. Put me down for one of those. Folks, <clears throat> church historians, uh, um, you, you know, and I, gosh, I'm going to let you down here because I don't know the exact year, but it was at the, the Battle of Milvian Bridge where um, the Roman emperor, was going out to battle the Goths, I think, and um, he saw a um, 
he saw this cross in heaven. And he, he thought, um, <clears throat> um, okay, that's a sign that I'm going to be victorious. And, um, and he was. And so the Roman emperor, Constantine, goes back to Rome after this battle of Milvian Bridge. I think that's the right battle. But goes back to Rome, and he, by imperial edict, changed the Roman Empire into a Christian empire. And people said, wow, wow, is that great? Oh, wow, we, now the Christian church finally has credibility in the pagan world because now we're a Christian nation. Folks, anybody with a half a brain will tell you that the worst thing that ever happened to the Christian church was when Constantine swept the whole empire into the kingdom by decree but i'm telling you the evangelical church is doing the same silly thing by this meager emasculated concept and understanding and definition of what it means to be converted You've had a meeting with God, my brother and sister. You had a meeting with God. And you know it. You, you, you remember at least parts of it. But once that meeting was over, you could not go back. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to say this in a couple of weeks from out there, but if you could go back, then go back. Go on. But if this meeting is taking place in you, you won't. Because you can. Oh, you can maybe for a while. But because of this meeting that you've, this miracle that God has performed in you and in us, we can never have the same set of loves. The only thing that adequately explains me and you is the miracle of the meeting with God. Anything less than that, ladies and gentlemen, is to damage the whole notion of conversion and ultimately to do the same thing that Constantine did to the church 1,700 years ago. You just sweep a whole lot of people into the church who haven't had the meeting. And so the church is populated with a whole lot of unconverted seekers wait a minute there is none that seeketh after oh that's right so what if you do not if you change this notion of what it means to be converted you change the very essence of the Christian church 
and you make her into something that is the laughing stock of the world. Oh, yeah, those people, they're no different than the rest of us. The ones who are different, they're the ones who had this meeting. Guys, I got one more thing to tell you, and I don't have enough time to tell you. So we're going to stop here. We'll come back next week, and I'll tell you that next week, and then we'll move on from there. Let's quit. <clears throat> our Father, um, we thank you that you tracked us down, because left to ourselves, we would have never tracked you down. Thank you that you have performed this, that you planned and scheduled and executed the miracle of the meeting. And so we sit here tonight as strange, odd, crazy people who believe a whole lot of weird stuff. And the only explanation for that is that a miracle has exploded in our souls and we are now new people. Lord, um, might we hold up for the world this glorious free invitation of the gospel, but might we never reduce it to something less than what it is. Bring us more, O oh God. Do it again and again and again. Meet with people and change them, and would you allow us to be there when you do? Might you allow us to see this great miracle that you perform when you bring a man or a woman or a boy or a girl to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? We pray, of course, in his glorious name. Amen.